to episode 44 of the Walshy Naps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Today we're talking about organic fabrics with my guests, Michelle Engelbenchko and Gina Pentastico. Michelle is a co-founder and the creative director of Cloud9 Fabrics, and Gina is a co-founder and the director of operations at Cloud9. Michelle and Gina, welcome. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Hi, guys. <laughs> I'm so glad you could join me today. So I feel like there was a journey that you each went on separately and then together that led to the creation of Cloud9. And I want to look at those steps along the way. So Gina, before Cloud9, you were working for many years in the fashion industry. Tell us about where you worked and what that work entailed. Yes. Well, I, I would say our Michelle and myself, our journey was really um, together, then separate, and then back together now at Cloud9. And, and I say that because my career really started, um, at, uh, well, I worked at a few companies when I graduated college. And then I believe I really found my home in the garment industry at a, um, at a men's loungewear company. And Michelle um, wound up coming to that same company probably six months after me. And um, when I started there, I was just a production assistant, you know, doing assistant type duties. And as the years unfolded, I think I had worked there a total of 12 to 13 years. And as the years unfolded, I um, moved up to a production manager, then a production director. And then, you know, in my final years that I was there, I was doing the um, direct, the production and sourcing for the company. And, um, and it was, it was great. I really consider that job my true education because while I was there, I mean, I was fortunate. They sent me all over the world and I've been to fabric mills and I went to garment, you know, cutting facilities and um, it was it was quite an education. But I wound up leaving that company because my personal life had changed. I had gotten married and I had a baby and um, I live in New Jersey. I was working in the city was quite a commute. So I wound up taking a job closer, significantly closer to my home in New Jersey. But um, I will be honest, that was a horrible job. <laughs> I, really, I really did not like it at all. And I, and I questioned, oh my gosh, why did I leave my old job? It was so great. Everyone was so wonderful there. And, um, but I really do look at it that um, at the time it seemed horrible, but it was really probably one of the best things that ever happened to me because had I not gone there, I would have never had the, uh, you know, the, the kind of push to start my own thing and, and, you know, do this with, do this with Michelle because, you know, it really pushed me. It was a catalyst. It was a catalyst. Exactly. It was a really, it was a catalyst and really enabled me to think outside the box and do this thing. And, um, I'm really grateful for that. I have to say right. so that I, what bad experiences really can bring about wonderful, wonderful opportunities. Yeah. And then that combination with having so many years really learning about how fabrics were made and sourcing in the fashion industry, you really, you know, those two things combined that plus a feeling of like, Hey, I don't really want to be working here anymore. Maybe I need to strike out on my own was like the, yes. the golden combo. So when you were traveling, um, for this, um, men's loungewear company where you were working and you were, um, visiting all of these different facilities all over the world where the fabrics are actually created that mm -hmm. are become the clothes that we wear. So tell us a little bit about sort of, I don't know, a memory or experience that really stuck with you from those travels. Oh, oh my gosh. Okay. Well, I've been, I've been to cotton farms, so I've seen the actual crops. I've been to 
the facility where they gin the cotton, where they, you know, prepare the bales of cotton, where they then take it and spin it into yarns. But I will tell you, and I, and I, and all the way up through the actual cutting and sewing of a finished product. But one of my memories, and this is like a glaring memory, I went to a fabric finishing, it was a dyeing and finishing um, operation, and I walked in there, and these poor mill workers are standing in there. They are not in shoes. There is dye probably three inches deep on the floor, and they're walking through this operation with no shoes. Dye is just permeating into their feet, and Oh my gosh, I walked out of there and I was like, no way. <laughs> there was just no way. And it was, this was back in my garment days, but, um, I walked in there and I was just, it was, it was appalling. I mean, the whole operation was appalling, but that particular visual, I will remember that for the rest of my life. I bet. And what country was that in? That was in China. Okay. Wow. And what, around what year? I'm just curious, like what year that was. I was just going to say that was China a long time ago. That was in about 1998. Okay. Things have changed since then. There's been a lot of uh, implementation of standards now on these mills. Yeah. But you know what? I'm going to be candid. Even today, you can go into some mills and they're not all of the same caliber. They're really not. They are not. And yes, there are standards in place, but do they really follow all of these standards? No, No, they all don't. Right, right. Okay, so, so you know, we're very particular. Yeah. Go ahead, I'm sorry. No, that's fine. I so I'm just thinking that that experience was really, I mean, I, I can't help but have like a, a personal impact on you as, as well as a professional impact, right? But I feel like that stayed with you and you took that with you to Cloud Nine. Am I right there? Oh, I mean, yeah. I feel like that's part that's become part and parcel of Cloud Nine, which we'll get to sort of what the defining characteristics of Cloud Nine are, but I feel like that's going to become one of them, um, for sure. And yeah, so, I, yeah, go ahead. It's, it's very, I will say, um, the mills that we work with, that is a very important part of what I do and a very important part of what I, you know, my, my daily, you know, tasks are, I really take that into consideration. And if from every, Every perspective from that, from, you know, I've been in facilities, I've seen, and, you know, there's different standards for age, um, depending on whatever country you go to. Some countries, it may be 13. Some countries, it may be 14. Some countries, I think it's as young as 12. But I can tell you, I've been in cut and sew facilities, and I've seen small children on the sewing machines. They could not have been over 10 years old. So that, too, hugely impactful yeah. and definitely something that is a huge consideration for me when I'm sourcing our mills. Yeah, especially now that you're a mother as well. I mean, I feel oh like my gosh. Right? it hits so much harder once you actually have children and you imagine your children in this experience, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. For sure. Um, okay, so so there's that piece. And um, Michelle, I want to talk a little bit about your journey as well. So you spent 15 years uh, living in New York and working as a design director. And I want to know a little bit about what that job was like. And were you designing fabrics for that? Yeah, uh, I'm going to rewind a little bit sure. because I think some people like to hear my story kind of from the beginning okay. of because I'm also, I'm always asked, like, where did you get your education, this and that? And the fact is, I did not get an education in this industry. I actually went to school for photography. And uh, then after school was over, I, I took a bunch of smaller jobs, but they were all creative. And then finally, um, 
my mother was working for a company as a freelance artist in New York City, a garment manufacturer, and they needed a design assistant to help with, you know, just general tasks of the design studio. And um, so I took that. And it was, like, very eye-opening. It was my first professional atmosphere, really. And um, I found that I actually liked the business aspects of the design, too. I, I felt like... Um, it just spoke to me. Like I, I kind of liked hearing about sales and marketing and production and things like that. So I became a sponge. And then within a year, I left that company and I became a designer, a full designer at another company, which is where I met Gina. And then I think it was like a year, maybe not even two years, I became the design director of that company. Um, I just was very tenacious about learning and becoming valuable and really giving myself a stronghold in these companies. So what I did there as a design director um, is it was a, a lot of different levels because the in the design area there's um, many tasks, not only just designing fabrics, which is one of the primary goals, um, designing the prints themselves and the plaids. There is also merchandising to help put together cohesive groups of prints and pattern. And then there was um, organizing all of the information and because we worked with uh, mills that kept screens so you had to maintain libraries so we could recolor things over and over and over again. Um, so it was really um, a very overseeing position, but primarily I would definitely, I was working with sales people and buyers to create collections for these private label companies, these businesses that we had. And um, so I was really a, a bridge between business and design. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's um, so cool. And that's how I really worked closely with Gina because she was constantly there. And we, we really were like constantly intertwined. Mm -hmm. our, our business really overlapped. So whatever I did affected her. Whatever me, she did affected me. <laughs> because it would start off, I mean, everything would really um, initiate in Michelle's area. And then my area, once once the initial concepts and the designs and all of that were final, then it was really my areas. We took over from there. We put it into production. We had all of the components of the production coordinated to arrive together, and that includes labels, tags, fabrics, threads, buttons. That would all have to be coordinated and put together at the cut and sew facility. And then my area would continue to follow it up with the shipping of it into the U.S., the arrival of it, the clearing of the customs, the arrival at our warehouse, and then finally the distribution to all of the large because we worked with very large retailers all of the large retailers throughout the u.s that, that we were supplying and um and yeah so i mean like there was definitely a there's like a moment in the life cycle of a product where, where michelle and i essentially overlap and it was like okay here it is and then she hands it off and then my area kind of took over but uh but yeah, I mean, she and I worked very closely for years, years. Right. right. And, and that's why I, and you know, not to kind of delve immediately into Cloud9, but I really do believe that this is why we are, um, we have such a great partnership. And I, I used to teach 
at FIT, Pyman, I would always tell my students because they, they wonder like, oh, you know, do you recommend having a business partner? Do you think that, that um, it's better to do it on your own? And I said, you know, it's, it's really interesting because if you do it on your own, it's all yours. But if you do it on your own, it's all yours. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but the, the, you know, so it's like this kind of, you know, seesaw. But, but the, the other issue is um, if you're going to bring on a business partner, you, that you're essentially married to that person. Mm-hmm. You need to trust that person. I mean, I trust Michelle like I trust my husband. Mm-hmm. I trust her. Yeah. I know that she's not going to make a bad decision for the company. I know she reciprocates, but it really is like a marriage, and you just can't start a business with any old person. You have to be, you know, intimately Completely aware of confident. how this person operates yeah. and and works. Um, yeah. I was just going to say, go, I, feel go like ahead, you, I feel like you have this, um, not only do you guys have this trust and this longstanding relationship of working together, but also you have really complementary backgrounds and skill sets as well. Yes. 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 With, without a doubt. We, we say often that it's, she's the yin to my yang and yeah. <laughs> we both understand what the other um, does, but we don't really get too involved you know yeah. we're a good sounding board we have opinions but you know ultimately we kind of stayed out of each other's business yes, really. and that actually mm-hmm. makes it easier because both of us are very determined and, and uh, knowledgeable people yeah. so we don't need the help but you know you do sometimes just want to ping an idea off yes. of somebody <laughs> it's yeah. like am i off am i off base here you know yeah. so you know it, it helps keep you balanced Right. Um, Exactly. So, okay. So, um, so Michelle, after that job, you did, I think, leave, right? Eventually and start something on your own, Cicada Studio, where you were developing and producing fabrics on your own. So tell us a little bit about that step. Okay. So while I was working in, in the, you know, it was like when blogs were on the rise, Etsy was just starting and I definitely fell for all that. Um, and I also saw a brighter future for me rather than designing the same old prints over and over and over again. And, um, you know, just the grind of, of the city work and the business shifts over time and your buyers shift. And it's just, it's working in the industry, it's exhausting after a while. And after, I think, a point, I was just disinterested in, in going any further, you know. So it was um, something that I wanted to do. I started dabbling in my own designs that I thought were good, you know, because as a creative director and working with buyers who think they know everything (laughs) and, you know, they do, they understand their business, but, you know, they're very conservative and they would never branch out. Um, So it was very dull design work. Um, And I, you know, being me, I thought I had great ideas, you know, and I thought that like people would like what I do. So it was an opportunity to design my own prints. And that's where Cicada Studio came into play. Um, I was able to just, you know, follow my own path and um, just get get it out there. I was uh, having things digitally printed, um, and I was selling them on Et- on Etsy. And it was amazing to me that people would pay as much money for my fabrics as they were, because as you can imagine, this was over ten years ago. Digital printing was just starting. There was no spoon flower at the time. Um, it was a pretty penny, and people are still buying it. So with that in mind, I was like, I know I've got a marketable product, you know. I just need to bring the price down. Um, here comes all that business information that I've been absorbing over the years. Um, it was also at that time, after I left that job, um, 
I had known a few people over at Henry Glass. Uh, we worked together for years and years, and they gave me an opportunity to design um, for them as well. So I did a couple of licensed collections with Henry Glass at the same time as I was doing Cicada Studio. I was, and that gave me my first introduction to the quilt market. Um, a little bit different kind of uh, marketing and merchandising and things like that. Um, but ultimately, nothing completely unfamiliar to me because it was still print-based, and um, I like parameters as a designer. So, uh, you know, you, you tell me, oh, you need uh, this kind of print, and you need some blenders, and you need to keep things like this. I'm like, okay, done, 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 done. And so um, I did a few collections with them. But at the same time, and this is all happening at once, um, Cicada Studio was building, and that was a definitely different look than what I was doing for the quilt fabrics. And so at some point, you know, I proposed this to Henry Glass and it really wasn't their thing and I totally understand that. But I said, okay, that's fine. But it really set in my mind that I needed to still do my, my own thing. And with that, I contacted Gina, who I knew was uh, consulting or like branching off on yeah. her idea where she might be doing consulting. So I was like, let me consult with my old friend Gina because <laughs> I know she knows what's going on and then then I like to let Gina take over the story as far as the, the, the origins of our business because it, she tells it so nicely oh. <laughs> so well so so she contacted me and was like hey you know how's it going and I'm like not good <laughs> and then I asked her how's it going and she and she said it's it's okay but I really want my business to grow and and initially um the way I remember the story is she was talking about um growing her business and I was like okay and I tried to get a feel for how like big she was thinking and she was talking about oh you know oh maybe we could do like a couple hundred yards and I honestly was like if you're gonna do a couple hundred yards I'll give you the mill names you just go for it because I'm not gonna be able to eat on a couple of hundred yards of fabric so then she was like well what do you think and I literally sat down and I'm like okay how much does it need to be how much does it need to cost how much do we need to buy yeah so and I really ran numbers and I came back to Michelle probably like two days later I'm like here's the deal you need to put up this much money. I need to put up this much money. This is what we need to buy, and we just have to really believe. And I believe in it, and I said, I believe in it, mm-hmm. and I'm not even kidding. We were at the accountant's office three weeks later, and we incorporated. It was that fast. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. first, I mean, we, you we knew. We built a business over bagels. <laughs> you knew. So we did. I mean, yeah, you knew you had a good idea. You knew you could work together. You knew what needed to come together to make the fabric itself. You know, like you had the understanding of the yes. way the business worked to be able to actually make it. It's, it wasn't a pipe dream. I mean, it was realistic. Like you knew what you needed to do um, yeah, and yeah. that you would be a good partner. So a lot of those components had already kind of come together. But I like the idea that, Gina, you were like, no, we got to think big here. Like this oh, isn't going to be, oh, right? Always <laughs> the big, like, uh, yeah, that's my thing. I mean, here, I'm selling on Etsy. I sell a few hundred. Right. You know, if I could sell a few hundred yards, I would consider myself a success in the realm of the Etsy environment. Right. You know, but um, Gina, Gina in her typical way shines a light where it's just like, no, let's go bigger. Let's go bolder. And, you know, I'm always on board for that. I just don't yes. always come up with that on my own. <laughs> right. Okay. So, so you know, I, I just... Yeah. So you had to... So you changed the name, obviously, right? You were Cicada Studio. So yeah. where 
like what was the idea there where you're like, well, I'm, I'm going to change the name and become Cloud9. Was there a problem with that other name or did you just want to like start over or? It was a different business to me in my yeah. mind. Um, Cicada Studio was really my personal endeavor. Um, I, the reason it's called Cicada Studio is because I love cicadas. Don't ask me why. I just think they're <laughs> awesome. You know, but I would never impose that on my business partner because it is a bug. <laughs> And um, also, it was a different idea. Um, one of the things that we didn't really talk about our, our business breakfast building business there was mm-hmm. that we, you know, Gina had mentioned at that time, you know, what about organics? Oh, yeah, that yeah, was yeah. A- a big yes. part of it. That was the other That's big right. piece. So one of the things, as we as we were kind of hashing this out, I said to Michelle, "Here's the thing: there are a million fabric companies right now." If we come out and we're just, you know, another fabric company, that's fine. But is there something that we could do that would really distinguish us from the rest? Is there something that we can do that will really set us apart? And we tossed around a couple of ideas. And I think I may have said, um, how about organics? Because they were really just starting. Yeah. And, and at that point, you know, we were both moms. We're both advocates of healthy food choices. And, and so... She, I said it and she's like, I oh, my love eyes, it. My eyes bugged out and I'm like, if you think we can do it, I think that would be perfect. I mean, not yeah. only would it set us apart, it would create a little bit of a niche for us. Yes. Um, it just felt right. I mean, both of us having the business experience that we had, we had seen some things that we just were not really um, uh, proud of <laughs> in a sense of mm-hmm. being a part of. But, it, um, you know, this, this was... That's a good combination for us. It's something that we definitely think is um, worth doing. And, um, you know, so so now the real challenge was to find our market, yes. find our customer, get the price right, and and just keep, uh, you know, keep going based on it. And, and, Abby, really, it's important to understand we did this in, what, 2008, just as the market dropped. Mm. Oh, yeah. And everything was basically shutting down, and yes. we're starting an organic cotton fabric business in the middle of all this. Yes, right. yes. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, it was really just, um, you know, here we are, we're asking people to basically pay more at a time when people are trying to not right. spend anything at all. But you know what? It, there was such a void in the market at that yeah, time. Yeah, there was. There was such a void. And not only was there, and this is the other thing that kind of sets us apart, not only was there a void in terms of organics at that time, but there was a void in terms of fresh, modern fabric choices. Things yeah, are modern, definitely have come a definitely. long way since then. But in 2008, people walked into our booth at Quilt Market and were uh, just... <gasps> It's so fresh. It's so fresh. I mean, the response we got. And it, people thought it was like an oasis for the eyes. You know, it was like, yeah. it was like cool and earthy, like fresh and, yes. and, and simple. It was, there was no clutter. And, um, you know, so I think, I think that um, we definitely the, stood out. Yeah. And I think that the, the organic element was huge for us then. Yeah. But I think what has kind of brought us to where we are now, too, is really like, I will give Michelle's design direction has really pushed us forward because they love our modern aesthetic. And shops never know what we're going to put out next. What's the next collection going to be? What's the next substrate going to be? And I think we're to the point where people love that they're organic, but people now, even if they don't necessarily care about you know, eco-conscious fabrics. They just like what we do because it's beautiful and it's priced fairly in line with some of the other designer fabrics. So 
I, I feel like there's like these three components here, right? There's so there's the socially mm-hmm. compliant mills that was a big part of this as well, and then there's organics, and then there's design, and those three things coming together are, are to me what defines Cloud Nine and sets it apart from other companies. So I want to talk about. I feel like we've talked about the first one, and I want to talk about the organic piece a little bit. I think you know five years ago even there were assumptions among kind of regular consumers of fabric about what organic fabric might look like. You know, like it might be sort of boring. It might be have like a a limited color range, maybe just kind of, I don't know, like natural looking hues that wouldn't be bright or Mm -hmm. vibrant or, um, and, and then also, you know, it was going to be more expensive the way that organic produce, you know, is more expensive than typical produce. And do you really need to spend, you know, four extra dollars for a yard of fabric when, you know, so, so there's certain things that I think kind of pop up in people's minds, or at least did then, I'm not really sure it does now, but, um, back then. So was there kind of an uphill climb on the sort of convincing consumers that this was really organic and was really beautiful and was still affordable? I have to say, you ask a fantastic question, and I will tell you, our business has changed, and we've morphed, and we've really tried to give the market what the market wants, and I will be candid with you. When we started, our fabrics were retailing uh, a little over $16, and it was it was a tough sell. It was it a was. tough sell. Fabric shops were having a tough time. Now... Um, and I, I looked at that, and I, I, I have to tell you, I, I said, all right, our, our distribution is definitely limited here. And the number one issue I hear from shops is it's just too expensive. So it was my job to find a way to bring these fabrics to the market at a more reasonable price point or a price point that is in line. And I have to tell you, organic cotton farming methods are so much more labor intensive and time consuming and there are so many more um parameters involved with organic organic cotton farming that of course it's going to cost more but when you really know all of the benefits or let me put it to you this way all of the negative effects with conventional cotton farming the extra you know 50 cents a yard that our fabrics may be now because we did find a way to bring the price down but it is so worth it if if you are at all aware of what goes into um, conventional cotton farming. Yeah. But I just wanted I to I just wanted to interject briefly because I spent two years living in the Mississippi Delta, which um, is a oh, a place yep. where a lot of cotton is grown, and um, there would be like cotton Ooh. cotton dust on the side of the road. It looked like it snowed. I mean, I went through the whole crop cycle, yep. sort of watching what was going on in the fields. And I was I was a school teacher, so I would drive to school in the morning, and these crop dusters would fly really oh, low yeah. to the highway, like really low to the car, um, these big yellow planes, and just spray the fields. And it was oh, like, yeah. oh my gosh, there's like poison spraying down on me. It was so it, it, it scary. Is. I would like, roll up the windows, you know, it's just like, don't breathe, don't breathe. No, don't breathe is right. And I will tell you, they have done studies and the amount of illnesses found in people that live around conventional cotton farms is so far beyond what you would expect. The rates of asthma, 
cancer, lung disease, all, all, I mean, just an assortment of ailments. It's not good. It's terrible. And I rarely pontificate about these things, but when I get on the subject, oh my gosh, it is, it is terrible. It's really awful. And it's not just the airborne dust. I mean, this all lands in the soil. It goes into their water system. So, you know, if they're living off well water, this is, this is part of their existence now. I know that um, yeah. uh, what organic means when you say, "Oh, this is organic fabric." What it what that means actually can mean a lot of different things. Um, there's right like yes, the different percentages yes. of organic fibers, and it's, so it's not like organic fabric is one thing. It is many different things. So, how did you arrive at what it was going to mean for Cloud Nine? Well, we when we started, we knew we wanted to do organic, and we knew that it we wanted it to be a hundred percent organic. We're also savvy enough and we've been in the business long enough that, that you could have 5% of your yarns be organic and you can still, you know, tout it as organic, but we did not want to do that. We wanted our cotton to be 100% certified organic cotton printed with low impact dyes and with a social compliance element thrown in. So really we, and I always say this, like we look at it like it's a basically a three prong kind of um, organic, it's organic by three standards. standards. It's the growing of the cotton. It is the printing and finishing of the fabric. And it is also the, um, the human rights element and the, the factory workers, um, work environment. Sorry. Yeah. Um, so we really look at it from those three elements and I think, and I, I will be, I think that most of the cotton producers in our industry, in this industry that are selling organic cottons, I would assume they also look at it that way. But if you see a garment that says that it's organic cotton, it may or may not be 100% organic cotton. It may or may not be printed with low-impact dyes. It may or may not be my, be produced well, at a socially compliant facility, mm-hmm. right, unless it's certified. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it, so, so you really set a high bar. You know, you, you set a high oh. bar and you had this pricing issue where you needed to bring the price down, it sounds like. I mean, $16, it was, it was a struggle. Were you able to, yes. to shave that down a little bit? Yeah, we were, we were, we, we, I got very aggressive in my sourcing. I started talking to, um, other, uh, sources and I was very aggressive with them in terms of what they were going to do for me, um, as far as price goes. And, um, we were very, very fortunate. We are working with several mills right now that were able to give us what we wanted, and that was a quality product that is certified organic um, with beautiful execution of the prints, too. I mean, I have to say our, our mills are very good. They execute our, the printing process well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I had to definitely get assertive and, and be aggressive. And, and I got the job done. (laughs) Totally. So explain to people, I think people sometimes say, well, how come it's not printed in the USA, right? Like if it's, if it's all of these wonderful things that make it a better choice, well, then why are you, you know, buying uh, cotton from, you know, a, a country other than our own. And, and I know that there are really good reasons behind that. And I just want to get those out into the open. 
Yeah, no, great. And I have to tell you, we're asked this frequently, and I'm always happy to talk to people about this because I want them to understand our perspective. Um, first of all, the world's largest um, producer of organic cotton is India. So I will tell you, all of our organic cotton is grown in India or on the Indian subcontinent. The United States of America has very, very, very limited organic cotton crops. Very limited. Cotton producers get subsidies from the government. I don't believe they get subsidies if they're producing organic cotton. So everyone in the U.S., except for the one little individual living perhaps in Alabama, everyone is producing conventional cottons and spraying the heck out of their crops. So first of all, our... our our actual base cloth, our fibers, are being grown in the Indian subcontinent. Interestingly, um, I did a little research as to printing facilities in the U.S. So even though you may be able to find very, very limited resources in the U.S. on organic cotton, you probably could. The real problem lies in the printing facility. There, I have not... I have not had any exposure, and I have to tell you, I have been looking. I have not had any exposure to any facilities in the U.S. that are uh, low-impact dye compliant or organic compliant in terms of their printing and finishing processes. In order to be organically compliant, you have to have a regenerating facility. So any of the excess dyes and the runoff water do not go into the local water stream uh, or local water supply. Um, And there is a list of chemicals that you can use and still have them considered low impact dyes. And then there's a list that you cannot use. And... um, we have not found one printing facility in the U.S. that could be deemed low-impact or organic compliant. But also, there's just not that many mills left anymore in the U.S. that do yeah. printing. Um, it's just, it's all been moved offshore for the most part. When I first started in this business, most of our printing was done in Massachusetts, and our garments were made in Tennessee. And since then, I mean, the, this that was in the span of my 15, 16 years in the industry. It was all moved offshore. Oh, yeah. So it's it's very, very difficult to find somebody who can kind of do that kind of printing. And I think it was actually pigment printed, too. And so mm-hmm. it, the hand feel on that fabric is not what you expect for uh, quilter's cotton as well. Yeah. Okay. So it's a lot of variables. Yeah. No, and I think that that's really important for people to hear, like from, from people who've seriously looked into it and yeah. um, aren't just, you know, choosing this because it's the easiest option or it's the cheapest option, but really it is the only option. Um, it's a viable option. Yeah, the only viable stick, option. You know, it, yeah. 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 We have to have a product that's going to be affordable. Right. Meets our requirements. Okay. <laughs> we keep looking. Yeah, okay. Um, I want to now talk about sort of the, what I feel like is the third distinctive part of Cloud9, and that's the design. And we touched on it a little bit about your quilt market booth the first time you went and sort of the reaction that you got. And Michelle, I know this is sort of what you focus on. Um, so I feel yeah. like your uh, portfolio of designers it's incredibly impressive and exciting to look through. And you have, you know, each person has a really unique vision and a unique aesthetic and you design as well. Um, So I'm just wondering sort of what are you looking for uh, when you're choosing a designer and, um, and who are some of the exciting ones that you're exciting designers you're working with this year? The first thing, what am I looking for? I, 
it's going to sound ridiculously vague, but I don't know what I'm looking for, but I know it when I see it. It's, it's literally as simple as that. Um, it will usually fill a void that I don't think we're doing with another designer. Um, I just find it fresh and exciting. Um, I have usually found um, a deeper uh, port- portfolio other than the things that they've submitted. And I, I like their entire aesthetic about like all sorts of things. So um, I can't give you any like, oh, I'm looking for modern. I'm looking for painters. I'm looking for, you know, somebody with, you know, a sort of whimsy. It, it's very very um, spontaneous, my decision-making. Um, and I will find designers in any number of ways. Um, I think the biggest way uh, to date, and it's changing a little bit over the last couple of years, is I would reach out to designers. There would be an artist that I saw, and I would be like, I want that person working with us, mm-hmm. because I think that what they do is going to make great fabric. I'm just wondering where you're seeing them. So like when you're, you know, you kind of are looking and you discover somebody and you're like, Ooh, that is gorgeous. That's what I want. I want them to work with. Where is it that you're seeing that image? I mean, I'm an online person for the most part. So, I mean, I see a lot of things online and you remember I got my start in Etsy. So there was no lack of talent around me there. So it was very inspiring and that just all leads to other um, designers as you kind of traipse through the world of that. Um, Pinterest is certainly something that uh, helps me a lot because things just flash by my eyes. And as soon as I see something, it doesn't take much to find out a little bit about that person. And I can easily see a depth of portfolio and like, oh, this is what this person does. And fantastic, fantastic, fantastic. And I really want to have a, you know, a conversation with them. Um, so I would say it's all fairly online. I mean, with the exception of our character book licenses, like at Emberley and Mo Willems um, and Goodnight Moon, uh, we uh, we reached out to them. I mean, and, and, and Emberley was just somebody that um, I had an affinity for because I grew up with his drawing books, and um, you know that, that worked out great. And Mo Willems, my kids love. Uh, Don't let the pigeon drive the bus. So like. We, you know, we contacted Mo and Mo's people, and uh, you know that that was great. And then Goodnight Moon actually got wind of us, um, and they contacted us because their uh, license had just recently expired with the company they were working with, and they saw the work that we'd been doing with other people, and said, "This is the company for us." Mm-hmm. So that was very complimentary, right? Um, okay. Then, so- other, then others, other designers. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say so. Um, I guess to me that speaks to for people who sort of aspire to design fabric either with Cloud9 or with you know another company is to make great work and to put that work out consistently. And as you said, you're looking for an overall aesthetic, like an in-depth portfolio. So it's not just, I made a collection of, you know, six prints and I'm going to submit them to you. It's like, what else have you done? What, you know, what does it all look like over how long and that sort of thing. And I think that's an important point to make. I also wonder though about audience. So when you Mm -hmm. are selecting a new designer um, or considering, let's say considering a new designer, does their audience play a role? I mean, does their number of Instagram followers at all infiltrate your thinking? I'm just curious to know, like, is that, does that figure into the equation? 
the business aspect of me can do some quick calculations. And, and you know what? No, it never hurts if you've got somebody with a following. I mean, clearly, that's mm-hmm. going to help, you know. If, but uh, it is not a, a, a major sway for me. Um, also, some of the people that we work with, they, work, they have experience or followers in another industry, and those people may not sew. So whether their fans know about us, they may not require our fabric, whether they love that artist or not. You know, so it's it's still has to be marketable in our industry. Right. And um, I like to find people who I feel are really filling a void, um, like this has never been done before, or that I just feel has a, a, a bond with our aesthetic. And, you know, I... I know that it kind of runs the gamut with all our different artists, but I do say, like, if you actually walk into my house, you're going to find all sorts of different things going on in my home. You know, it's like I love everything from abstract expressionalism to, you know, mid-century modern to renaissance. You know, so I I have a varied taste. I think a lot of people have a varied taste. Um, I also don't want to be all things to all people. Um, So I don't expect everybody to love every single collection we do with the same passion that, you know, like if you love time work, you might not be so interested in, um, nursery flannels. Yeah. Nursery flannels. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but you know, there's something for somebody in pretty much every offering that we have, I think. Okay. So I, I do, I have a lot of, um, instincts kind of firing up as I, as I choose the people to work with. And I do want to say like over the last year, I think I've picked up more industry people and people who have been more geared towards pattern design. And, um, you know, it's, I think it was just the way I started. I kind of want to give voice to people who didn't necessarily have that. Uh Um, and I think it has definitely helped, um, bring a, a certain, look to our offerings, like our, what we're about. And I think that helped get us noticed a lot more. And now we're working with some more people who are a little more um, recognizable in this industry too. So it's, uh, it's all good. You know, we're ever evolving. Right. Yeah, I'm sure that's true. And um, for the people who you bring in, who maybe are coming from, you know, the world of being an illustrator, for example, and, mm-hmm. or, or being a painter and maybe haven't had a ton of, um, surface pattern design experience. How much help are you able to provide, you know, as far as helping them to make, to tile their you know, designs and make a repeat that's going to work and all that sort of thing. I mean, is it hands-on or is it hands-off? For me, it's completely hands-on. I, I don't expect uh, an illustrator to know how to do textile design. Um, we do, we'll do everything. I mean, you give me the painting or you give me this, you know, I need a high red scan and we'll do the rest, wow. <laughs> you know, and everything is, it's, it's very collaborative though, because we don't just say, okay, and this is what it is. You know, we, we want opinions. Like, does this meet your aesthetic as well? Does this feel right to you? Um, oftentimes, uh, people who don't have experience in this particular industry will off, you know, they'll be like, well, you're the boss. You know, you, you know what to do with this stuff is if you think this works for your business, then who am I to say, I mean, I'm happy with it. So, um, and that's, that's very nice that they, um, trust, you know, my instincts. So, okay. Uh, Um, and I feel like there's been, uh, I don't know, like a trend or, or sort of a shift in substrates. Um, I feel like when I look at what's coming out at quilt market, 
it's not just quilting cottons anymore. We're seeing a lot of, um, you know, substrates that are better for sewing garments. We're seeing, you know, walls. Mm-hmm. We're seeing all kinds of things that are better for home deck. I don't know. I feel like there's an expansion of substrates. And you're right up there with that. Uh, what kinds of fabrics do you offer right now? Okay. Well, our quilters cotton, um, we do canvas, wall, corduroy, corduroy like a baby whale corduroy. Um, a bark cloth, um, flannel, <laughs> and we will be doing some knits. Okay. You heard it first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hooray. Um, I mean, knits are everywhere, right? Knits are so exciting. And, um, I just wonder what, like, why do you think this shift is coming about? I mean, it's a great shift and, you know, quilting cotton has, I feel like for a while now had some really beautiful and exciting, um, prints that would lend themselves so well to other substrates, but now we're, we're really seeing it happen. And I wonder if you have any insight on why that's happening. I, I have a thought and uh, yeah, yeah, I, I actually think that there's a lot, um, there's really a shift with the younger generations and they're, they're getting into sewing and it's becoming, um, a hobby that's definitely on the rise with the, you know, under 30s. And I think when they start sewing, they're not necessarily perhaps drawn to quilting, but they want to make garments. And I and think... they see all this wonderful fabric, these yes. wonderful prints. And, yeah. Know, it, I mean, and it's funny because I, there's was some research done, sewing machine sales are on the rise. Sewing classes are on the rise. But this is all for the under 30s, and they're doing a lot of garment sewing. So I think all of a sudden, there's a need for these other substrates that are not just merely for producing quilts, but for doing their projects as well. I don't know what you think, Michelle, but that's Oh, yeah. My, I mean, uh, that's definitely Definitely one thing. Um, I, you know, I think it's just creative people. <laughs> also, mm-hmm. they want to try new things. Uh, I think if you put it out there, it, people will want it. Um, you know, I also work with designers whose art, in particular, would lend itself to certain kinds of substrates for different end uses. When I work with, I'm going to bring up Time Warp again. When I work with Jessica Jones on that, you know, she has this mid-century modern belt bent to her artwork and bark cloth was a perfect base cloth for her artwork um and then when we worked with um avril already her her artwork would really shine on as a garment so we did it on voile um so there's a lot of reasons why and certain you know like when we work with uh bright hoekstra she is a girl, and so you know, doing things like flannel and micro whale corduroy works really well for her, especially because she does a lot of kids' patterns too. So, there's a good reason for, for doing these things. But I'll tell you another little thing about it is it's just because we want to, <laughs> it's a little bit selfish. It's like you see these base cloths come by you, and the mill says, Oh, we can do this, and you're like, Wow, Ooh. this is nice, yeah. you know. So, you know. Who can we get to design that one? You know, so it, there's a little bit of that too, and, and that is one of the best perks about having your own business is you kind of can do what you want. <laughs> Has there Go been ahead. a shift? A shift for you? I'm just thinking be, because both of you came from um, a manufacturing background, really, right? Like, um, so you were working with um, yes. with creating fabrics, but they were fabrics that. that would be manufactured to become sort of mass market garments. And now you're still creating fabrics, but they are for the home sewing industry. And I just wonder, was there sort of a mental shift, you know, that had to come about? I mean, you didn't really, 
necessarily come from a home sewing uh, background. Um, so was there some, no. was there a learning curve oh, but, there? Well, I, you know, it's just two things. My, it's, go, fl- go back 30 years. I'm 14 <laughs> years old. Um, and I started sewing and I, I just, I loved it. I, and I'm not, um, I'm not, uh, I cannot draw, so I'm not artistically inclined that way way. But for me, sewing was really my one creative outlet where I could pick fabrics that I knew this is going to drape perfectly in this, you know, gathered skirt or whatever. So for me, when I was 14 and I started to sew, it was like a whole new world. I literally knew at that moment, I'm going to go to FIT and I'm going to have a job in the fashion industry. I don't know what that job is going to be, but that is what I want to do. And it's, uh, and obviously the years unfolded and, and here I am, but for me, producing fabrics, I could literally do this in my sleep compared to producing garments. <laughs> no, garments is like garment production halfway. <laughs> holy smokes, garment production is so much more involved because there are so many components that go into a garment. There's labels, there's tags, there's buttons, there's thread, there's rivets, there's, you know, fabric is you're making one component of the product that you make when you make a, you know, a garment or a finished product. So the shift was, yay, this is so easy. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Um, all right. So I think that, um, I I just want to see if there's any, anything new about, uh, you know, what's coming up. I know you mentioned knits, um, but sort of as a final wrap up question before we get into our recommendations, is there anything kind of, we want you really wanted to touch on, um, or anything new you wanted to talk about? Um, let's see. Uh, you know, I, I feel like I'm on that. Like, you know, there's so much going on in my office right now. <laughs> All right, I, I will take this. Really, you ask us this question, and you ask us this question while we are in the middle of moving yeah. our headquarters. We're literally sitting here right now in a temporary space because our current, our our permanent office is being essentially built out and outfitted. We should be moving in there. I would say next week. But you have really, it's, it's funny, this, this, you know, chat has really come about at a point when we are really looking forward. And every, every, I come in every day and I'm like, oh my gosh, I just like keep looking forward because there are, you know, that's a huge thing for us, you know, moving into a, a more, um, you know, appropriate and, and, um, you know, I don't know. It's more, it's going to just be more effective and more efficient because it's a proper, everybody's got their own space. We're not on top of each other anymore. Um, so that's something that we're yeah, like dealing with. That's internally, you know, on the outside, as far as what's, what we're offering coming up. I mean, quilt market is literally right around the corner and we're very, very painfully aware of that at the moment. <laughs> um, but we have a lot of new uh, designers that are coming out. Uh, Anna Graham, who's Noodlehead, she has her first collection ever on fabric coming out with us. Um, we have uh, partnered up with Ink and Spindle out of Australia. Uh, they do their own uh, printing, um, screen printing, hand screen printing in their studio in Melbourne. Yes, they are in and, Melbourne. Uh, um, so we're excited to bring their look to our market. Um, <laughs> here I'm on the spot. Okay, yeah, I have uh, anybody else you want to talk Jessica about? Nielsen out of the Netherlands. Um, I have uh, a- another artist. We haven't actually promoted her yet. Uh, Sarah Betts. She's out of the UK by way of Belgium. Um, and then I'm missing somebody, and I hate and that. We have, well, I know we have a new corduroy collection that's going to be oh, coming yeah, out. Yeah. That. Uh, 
uh, by Elizabeth Olin. Yeah. Um, and that will be previewed at Quote Market too. So we're so, pretty excited about that one. I love the, I love how, um, I love how international this is. You know, it's really, you're yeah. bringing together, you're, you're pulling from all over the world and it's really yeah. exciting. So, and we'll, that's why, that's why you can tell I pull from the internet for the most part because I don't travel like that. <laughs> I mean, it would be really nice, but I don't get around, I don't get out that much. Um, so I, you know, the internet brings the world to your, your yeah. doorstep, and uh, I have really been able to uh, expand that way. Yeah, that's actually not very intentional. It just is the way it is. It's it's um, it's a nice thing. That, I'm missing somebody. I'm missing, I think, two people. I'm sorry. It's like I know how uh, people when they have to thank people at the Oscars now they get all confused. <laughs> Well, if it, if it comes back to you, we can talk, say it at the end. It's no problem. But um, I want to I I um, dive into our lists a little bit because um, you guys have a couple of fun things to recommend. And um, so, Michelle, we're going to start with you. And you wanted to recommend shopping on eBay for some discontinued <laughs> fashion styles from Doc Martin. So go for it. Um, I, I bought a pair of boots. It was probably 15 years ago, and they're still with me, and I love them. So I was trying to find them. And of course, they've been discontinued. And I started my search on eBay, which just brought me to, you know, more good, great looking styles from Doc Martens. It took totally de- departured from their combat boots. And, um, you know, so now I'm getting like really kind of into the nitty gritty of it. And I've even found some really cool sandals like a, with a wedge heel. I'm telling <laughs> you. I'm totally addicted right now. I, I have like all sorts of alerts going off for me every time. I'm like, I have these like parameters of like, you know, the the search fields. And it's when I get a, a little ding on that, I'm all over it. <laughs> so were you able to replace the ones, the discontinued ones? I have not. I have not. I, and I'm like thankful that they're they're holding up as well as they are because they are old now, but um, they have not crossed my path. Okay. I keep my eyes. They'll be mine. <laughs> and Gina, you wanted to talk about a book called Unbroken by Lauren Hillenbrand. Yes, yes, it's it's wonderful. Have you seen the movie? No, I see very oh few my. movies. <laughs> yeah. Well, I will say this: the book is definitely better than the movie, and the movie was. It's fantastic, but um, it's essentially this story of this um, child of Italian immigrants, and um, he's growing up in California. Uh, his childhood was before World War II, and essentially it goes on to tell of his journey, his experiences in World War II, and it's, it's called Unbroken because no matter what this man encountered, his spirit remained unbroken and he is such an inspiration because he lived I believe to the ripe old age of 97 and literally like I I was reading the um you know the events of his life after he returned from the war and that man took up skateboarding at 70 I mean this guy and I'm like inspirational he is so and he should have been dead six times over I mean God just did not want this man to die he did not want him to perish because there were so many instances in this man's life where there is no way he should have lived through that and God bless him he did I mean it is it was such a wonderful story and if you have a choice to read the book or see the movie read the book the book goes into much more detail and it is amazing 
All right. Good one. Uh, thank you for that. So, all right. And, uh, Michelle, you and your husband are taking archery lessons. So um, that sounds awesome. And I have to just tell you a very quick story about when I was in summer camp, a sleepaway camp as a kid, and I didn't know what archery was, never heard the word before we were, uh, so I was by myself, it was sleepaway camp and we had to sign up for activities. They gave us a list of different things you can check off. And I thought archery sounded like art. And so I checked it off. I had no idea what it was. So I got there and I was like, Oh, I was like, totally scared because you know they give you this le- this lecture about how you can like slice your finger off with the you know, yeah. uh, right so yeah. I like ran away and I like skipped archery for the entire rest of the summer like every day when it would happen I was just like go hide and I didn't never wait so anyway that's my only archery experience so but it sounds like you're having a much better one so tell us about that I am you know and it's, it's funny it's like um it, I don't know why I've wanted to do this for I don't know decades probably and you know you say things like this to yourself oh i want to i want to do this i want to do that and you just never do and then of course you know the hunger games comes out and everybody's like like what a cool thing to do you know and it just kept reaffirming like i definitely want to do this (laughs) so um so we did and my husband got me the lessons for christmas and we've been going i mean we've had three lessons now and we're going to go for our next three um, and I know that we've made a lot of progress since the day one. And uh, we are being trained by um, a school that actually does Olympic training as well. So they're really into um, telling me about the form and um, posture and all the little uh, things that you need to know in order to be a great marksman. Um, and it's just really exciting. I, I mean, I'm never going to take it to that level. I'm just happy to know how to hit the, the target. Um, you know, and we see, we see we're getting better and that's a really thrilling thing. And honestly, you know, shooting an arrow, it's, I don't know, there's like a thrill in that, you know, it's like, <laughs> I, I mean, they don't ever let you forget that like, there's like, don't when not to shoot and you know, how you can really hurt somebody. It is, there's a bit of danger element. Um, but you know, we're all being trained the proper way to take safety precautions. So it's good. I was going to say taking, yeah. a, I think taking a class with your husband together, like learning a new skill together. My husband and I took yeah. um, ballroom dancing classes uh-huh. and it, it's good. Uh-huh. Like it's good for you yeah. to focus on sort of learning something new together. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, I'll, and I'll just give you this as an aside. My husband and I can be a little competitive. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're, we're not like evil competitive, but like there is a little like, all right, you're, you're good. I, I need to up my game. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. We took, a, we took a printmaking course last year and he just totally blew me away. I was like, all right, this is your bag. <laughs> I had fun. He rocked it. <laughs> um, all right. And Gina, you get the last, um, the last recommendation goes to you and, and you wanted to recommend your Fitbit. Oh my gosh. Yes. All right. So speaking of husbands, my husband is a super athlete. He is, he does marathons in under three hours. He's crazy. Um, and I'm sorry, when it degrees outside, like it was this morning, I need something to keep me moving. And I, I have to say overall, like he and I are a good pair because I'm, I'm fairly athletic. I don't do marathons or anything insane like that, but I do <laughs> enjoy hiking and out outdoorsy things. Like he taught me to surf and I like all of that. I like to be, um, moving and active, but when it is four, I literally, I just want to sit on my couch with the book and eat potato chips and, and it's not a good thing. It's really not. So I needed something to inspire me to move more, especially in these cold months, because in the summer I will move all the time. But for Christmas, um, I wound up getting this Fitbit and 
I have to tell you, it's amazing. I check it. I'm like, I only did 8,000 steps. Let me go like run upstairs and do the laundry and walk around a little bit because I want my 10,000 steps every single day, which I have to be honest, is not always easy. It's not always, and you you don't realize how little you move until you start to track it. And I do, I really have to say, I love this because it has inspired me to move more than I would each day. So I, I really do love it. And for those of you that don't want to like, all you have to do is walk around and it's 10,000 steps mm-hmm. and it's, you know, you feel really good about yourself when you hit it. So <laughs> do you get like a little, does like a little alert go off when you hit it? Does it like vibrate or make yes. a little song or something? I'm glad you asked because the first <laughs> time it happened, I'm like, what the heck? <laughs> I'm like walking along and all of a sudden my arm starts vibrating. I'm like, what is wrong? And I look down and I see like 10,000 is splashing. I'm like, Ooh, that's a good thing. <laughs> so yes, you do get an alert. Um, and I, I, I have not hit, um, the 20,000. I almost hit 15,000 one day that I was doing a lot of stuff, but, um, yeah, I don't know what happens if you hit other goals, but yes, at 10,000, it confetti does. starts falling from the sky. Yeah, once you have 20,000, you have streamers, and and yeah, That's exactly. Um, but, um, but I really do like it, and it helps keep motivated. That's awesome. So, um, Gina and Michelle, I really enjoyed talking to you. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for coming on the Walsh Naps podcast. Oh, thank you for inviting us. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so where can we connect with Cloud9 online? Where should we find you? Cloud9fabrics.com. And it's a number nine. Yep. The cloud number nine fabrics.com. Um, it, that will take you basically to all of our different sites. We're on Instagram. We're on Pinterest. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. Uh, Instagram's probably my, my favorite just because it, it's, Instant. (laughs) So you can find us there. I do recommend going to our website because we do have a whole project section where we have free projects and um, lots of great quilt patterns and other uh, little projects here and there. Um, And, uh, you know, take a look at our fabrics because they're really inspiring. (laughs) And that is actually one of our catchphrases. You know, we work with artists who inspire us so that we may inspire you. And I think that is very true. And I think if you take a little tour and you check out what we do, you'll be really inspired. (laughs) That sounds great. And our Cloud9 fabrics, they're available in independent quilt shops nationwide and um, also like in other countries as well and online too. Yeah, around the world, online. There's a lot of um, online shops that buy that ship internationally. So if you are in South America somewhere and you want our fabrics and you can't find them, go to some of our online retailers. They ship internationally. Um, But we do, we have distributors around the world, um, all over Europe, um, South Korea. So yeah, I mean, you can really, if you, wherever you are, if you want our fabrics, you can find them. (laughs) Again, on our website, there's a where to buy section and it's really um, informative. We don't update it as often as we would like, but when we do get the first push out of all of our collections, we will list what shops are selling which collections and by state or by country uh, or by collection or even by designer. So there's a lot of good search parameters on, on that uh, okay. tool. Yeah, that's really useful for people. Yeah. So super, that sounds great. And yeah. um, thank you so much. You've been listening to the Walshy Naps yeah. podcast and I'm Abby Glassenberg. I invite you to visit my blog, walshynaps.com, where you'll find helpful information for creative entrepreneurs as well as tutorials and patterns for making stuffed animals and dolls. And if you enjoy the show, tell a friend about it. Thank you so much and I'll see you next time. 